0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio
1: show on 710 KURV. Here's Sergio. Tim Snyder from MatadorEconomics.com. And I've got a few headlines I want to visit. Can we talk about the Vladimir Putin $60 barrel price cap? That was a proposal, or is that policy being implemented by Europe? And is that hurting Vladimir at all,
2: Tim? The uh the sixty dollar price cap that we're talking about, Sergio, is something that was floated initially by the G seven uh and then adopted by the EU and Australia. Uh Great Britain is looking at approving it as well. Uh last week the storyline was from Vladimir Putin, we'll just we'll just uh blackball anybody. We'll never sell to them again anybody that endorses the price cap. Uh, this week this week his response is on top of that, we'll just put a price floor in. So this is just all fluff and talk. Uh, tells you that there's no concrete direction, uh, both of which could hurt. Um, could hurt Russia. But to be really honest with you, um, this will actually hurt the consumer more than it'll hurt anybody else because mm-hmm. they'll continue to bicker and bicker and argue. And Russia has. Uh, the ability to sell to China and the new alliance that they have there. Um, They've got India, who is no friend of the United States, who um, has already negotiated uh, their price from the Russians for uh, the crude oil that they need, Jeez. and that's probably one of the fastest growing economies in the world. So yeah. uh, we got to be real careful if we don't bite off our nose to spite our face.
1: Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com, that proposed and adopted EU and Aussie $60 price cap on a barrel of oil from Vladimir Putin, but he's got India and China as the main customers. I thought India might have been... a. A better friend of ours. I was thinking we need to take factories out of China. Maybe move if they don't want to bring it back to the US. Maybe move to India, but India buying all this Vladimir Putin oil. He doesn't with China and India. Putin doesn't need anybody else, does he? That's it. That's those he are does, does. the two largest. Exactly right. right. That's that's all he needs. Those yeah, two Absolutely coming. right. Well, is the are these EU countries and Aussie? Um, yeah. are are they actually buying oil? Were they buying oil before this, or is this just? you know, just a useless headline.
2: A lot of it's righteous indignation, you know? I mean, it's, it's just a lot of fluff. Um, the EU, uh, Eastern Europe itself, is going to hurt. Uh, Germany's going to hurt. And they're going to get to the point where they have to make some tough decisions. And that is, we either stay, we either <clears throat> follow the, the uh, you know, in the lockstep, in boots, in uh, that, that uh, you know, hard boot, hard stiff, heel-boot step from the uh, what the Russians are giving us or the, uh, towards the Germans. But Germany's going to have to make some decisions. He, all of Eastern Europe's going to find themselves in a real tr- struggle when it comes to natural gas. And, and you know, the United States, well, uh, crude oil or heating oil, <clears throat> the United States used to be able to step in and had a willingness to step in, but we really don't want to do that. We went to Venezuela and said, oh, please, sir, can you give us more? Yeah. You know? So... We're not. We're not trying to help this at all. And I will tell you, if I am a despotic nation like what Vladimir Putin is trying to make Russia again, uh, and what's going on in China, um, I let the other guy destroy himself from within, and then I just, I just, you know, strengthen my position. Yeah, I watched an interesting. Um, a piece on the History Channel about you know the technologies and the and the men that changed the world in the oh 20th yeah century. I love that
1: series and, yeah, yeah.
2: It's, just, it's just amazing and you see exactly what we did and how you know people have opted. I mean people hated uh, um, FDR they hated them but they you know the industrials of this world all came together and created a machine that you know. Stop The most dangerous world war that has ever been and may ever, ever be. But we're starting to go back down that path again. And, you know, we're not we're not making wise decisions as a government here. We're trying to make social decisions. We're trying to make policy on social decisions. And then you've got people like John Kerry who are standing out there telling people that we're not going fast enough, we're not killing fossil fuels fast <laughs> enough, which yeah. means that we'll kill this economy uh-huh. even faster if he's allowed to succeed.
1: What are you going to use for your ketchup bottles, John? Paper paper bottles to distribute your ketchup and mustard? At Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com, my guest. I want to get your thoughts on a headline late last week. That there was a defense appropriation bill up in D.C. like a 34, 35 billion dollar proposal. It was part of the defense spending proposal, about 35 billion bucks for a an Ike dike named after Hurricane that massive Hurricane Ike that hit the Galveston area, and the fear is that if you get something that hit like Florida, Category 5, 20 foot storm surge at high tide, and all, that that might bring water to some of the fact some of the um, the refineries uh the oil producers in southeast and i know it's that that area is dotted. that we got refineries and um, oil processing uh, manufacturing all over the place and they want to create this 35 billion dollar ike dyke 20 years it would take just want to get your thoughts on that idea
2: yeah let me just tell you that the impetus behind that is not practicality it's emotion um, they are using this as an opportunity to advance more climate change legislation, which is what they want. This is one of those things that strikes at people that don't have, that don't understand really how the rubber meets the road when it comes to climate change and, and some other things. And they're they're using it <coughs> much like um, some of our friends in the uh, weather media like to use um, you know stories of, of hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of things and everything being much worse when they're not any worse. And um, I think it's a I think it's a, a, a boondoggle, but it's it's something that is designed, to get the attention of the American people, and, and unfortunately, there's way too much buy-in when it comes to emotion, yeah. and when we have hurricanes yeah. and that kind of stuff, we deal with that from an emotional standpoint. I believe that's what that is.
1: No, and if the storm is on top of you, it's so easy to manipulate weather-related news yeah. and and convince, sure. uh, it, you know for the most part, a generally very ignorant population and, and, and uh, media population. That uh, weather is being manipulated by climate forces that man is somehow contributing to. Uh, it's it's really easy because you get one bad thunderstorm on top of it, and you guys got you guys you got workers from Dot working the roads to people at the water cool saying, "Oh, it's it's climate change. It's climate change." Oh, that's the worst storm ever. It, it's it's really sad. It's very easy to manipulate. Hey, why is gas so cheap right now, relatively speaking? Like two thirty nine, I saw at a gas station this morning.
2: Yeah, isn't that wonderful? I will tell you that we're, we've, we've reverted to more of a seasonal pattern because right now we don't have enough of the economic story to uh, push the prices higher. Um, we have an economic story that tells us that we may actually be looking at more of a recession next year and so that does contribute to the seasonal patterns that we have this is the time of year when we're at the lows of the year um, I think I, I said this last time you and I were together a couple of weeks ago but I expected prices to be lowest around the 15th of December and we'll start to climb out of that little little mess uh, probably right after the 15th heading towards Christmas and then into the new year so I would say take advantage of what we're going to see right now I'm most worried about diesel fuel for next year conditions have not changed at all with the fuel prices so don't expect prices to do anything different than what we did last year sir Jim
1: and just in one minute hoping you could explain to to me and all all our working people Joe Manchin that was in the news again a few days ago it looks like he failed in another effort to grease the skids on permitting. he pissed off all the Republicans on his side by betraying them some months back, and no one's on his side and trying to grease the skids on permitting. What type of permitting is he trying to fast-track? Is it coal? Is it oil permits? What was he working on?
2: Both for West Virginia, and uh, the president turned his back on him, and he turned his back on the Republicans, Republicans turned his back on him. He's a man without a country right now. Um, He tried to get some, you know, the legislation that was promised to him for his vote in that, uh, uh, inflation reduction bill, so-called, uh, so-called yes, that, that's what they called it, um, it's, it's a, that's a misnomer. But the fact is, um, he, you know, when you, when you trade with the devil, when you deal with the devil, you just don't know what to take. I saw a movie one time showed the guy said that, you know, just, just give me uh, give me one stroke and um, I'll beat you on the hole. And the guy says, okay. So, he, you know, he picks up and, and uh, picks the other guy's ball up and throws it off into the river. He wins the he wins the hole. So that's what you get when you deal with the devil.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Have a great week. Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com. This is the Sergio Show. Do you know where the money that you're putting into your retirement portfolio, do you know these money managers – what they're prioritizing as, as far as investments. Of late, we've heard, well, for several years now, we've heard uh, some of these investment houses moving away from, let's say, traditional fuels like fossil fuels, right, and putting into new energy and more uh, woke technology or trends based on whatever the news of the day is or the flavor de jour is as far as social trends. Is there anything you can do about that? Red Taylor is CEO of Red Taylor Insurance. Appreciate your time, Red. So let's address that question because we do hear every now and then companies divesting from fossil fuel portfolios and no longer investing in big oil, things like that. Is there anything that you can do or could do with your investment portfolio, your your nest egg, if you want to stay in something like that or you don't appreciate the fact that some of these investment houses might be moving to a more woke investment, if I can call it that.
3: Yeah, good morning, uh, Sergio, and glad to be with you and hope that all of your listeners there in McAllen, Texas, are excited and ready to attack this day with wonderful enthusiasm. My name is Red Taylor. I'm the CEO of Red Taylor Insurance. And what we've got here is a situation where the uh, failed Biden regime and the woke uh, diplomats in the swamp that is known as Washington, D.C., are pushing an agenda-focused uh investment strategy that spells doom for your 401k. Uh, what they've done is instead of focusing on companies' investments that will make you and I a profit and grow our portfolios, grow our 401ks, grow your pensions, they're now saying instead of focusing on... Uh, fiduciary responsibility, things like making money and earning a profit, yeah. they want to focus on clean energy uh, and social justice principles, which yes. are absolutely ridiculous. In fact, a new study has revealed that a whopping 78% of woke ESG funds that Biden wants your 401ks to invest in have underperformed the market by over 15% in the first half of this year alone. And that's due to ridiculous investments in failing big tech firms and the shunning of the massive soaring oil, gas and energy prices that we are seeing today.
1: Is there anything that we can do? Cause we don't pay it. We go to work. We have, several funds 401ks mutual funds we don't know what they're doing behind the scenes we just hear these headlines and i'm thinking it's getting to the point now screw this let me take the money and buy land buy real estate or buy gold coins at least i'll have some hard assets to liquidate in the near future that i know will increase in value
3: absolutely and so so a couple of things that you can do that i would recommend at this point in time is to get involved okay get involved You need to find out what your 401k is being invested in. Contact your investment advisor and simply tell him that I don't want my money being invested in these woke ESG funds. You can ask them if they're doing that. Because, look, the Biden initiative has taken the fiduciary responsibility off of them. They can go and put your money in these failing funds. They're losing money for you and don't have to worry about ramifications. Now you, as the owner of your money, the hardworking Americans, the ones that are burdening these, these absolutely ridiculous policies, these failed policies that are coming out of Washington DC that are enriching those politicians, those crooked swamp creatures up there off of your and I back, the hardworking red-blooded Americans, you can, you can absolutely fire your Fund manager, you can take your money and you can say, you know what? I want to invest with the S and P. I want to invest in fossil fuels. I want to invest with the engine, the real estate engines that turn this American economy for decades and decades.
1: As you take inventory, twenty twenty three investments is something you should consider. I amigos. Mean, my guess right now, Brett Taylor. CEO of Red Taylor Insurance. So you're taking inventory for 2023. It's really that simple, right? Whoever's managing your money, I I hope that individual's a friend of yours or a phone call away, and just make a list and say I want only American-based manufacturing, or oh, I want only LNG, or I don't want anything that is woke. I don't want any funds that have moved away from traditional fossil fuels. Hey, just a simple communicate. One simple phone call should take care of it. Right, right?
3: You have the right. You okay. have the right to do that. You have the expectation. Your fund manager, your investment advisor expects you to do that. When you don't do that, he yeah. just goes They'll to work for and you. cruises through his day. So, You you have the right to make that call. You have the right to get involved. Listen, I know that we're all working our fingers to the bone. We're focused on keeping our family afloat. We're focused on making it through this inflation, all these storing prices at the gas pump, at the grocery store. But we have to get involved so that our future is taken care of as well.
1: Talk to the money managers at those organizations. Thank you, Red. Happy Happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas. This is The Sergio Show.
0: You're listening to the best of The Sergio Show. Here's Sergio.
1: From Fox News, Jessica Rosenthal, my guest, with information on how tens and tens of thousands of Americans shared some DNA information with some folks at laboratories about to learn something in return if they have some questionable genes, worrisome genes. So tell me a bit more about this research, Jessica.
4: Yeah, hi. It's um, the All of Us study run by the National Institute of Health. They say their goal eventually is to have one million people enrolled in this. So far, just over 500,000 Americans are enrolled. Um, and they are now, they say at the point where they are ready to essentially return information so about 155,000 participants. Um, some of that information might include, as you just noted, uh, essentially genetic variants. Um, and I'll read this to you: They will notify them through the program's hereditary disease risk report if they carry genetic variants that genetic variants that can cause any of 59 inherited diseases, or even variants that can trigger medication problems. So if your hmm. particular body can't handle a um, certain medication that maybe if, God forbid, you were sent to the hospital uh, in a state where you couldn't respond for yourself or speak, they would know, oh, don't give this person this medication. The goal, NIH says, of this overall study is to essentially tailor medicine to the individual. So no longer, you know, at some point when we have all this data, uh, would you go to the doctor and say, hey, I have this ache and pain. Or have a, an issue, they poke and prod you and say, well, this is the medicine we usually you know, give for this particular ailment, uh, so go along your merry way. Well, what if you don't have the right outcome? What if this drug doesn't work for you? What if the treatment plan doesn't work for you? Um, maybe one day a doctor will you know, not only poke and prod you, but open up your uh-huh. genetic profile <laughs> and scene. say, okay. we're going to treat you differently based on this.
1: Man, to have a half million people participate so far, mm-hmm. how far back does this – i'm guessing voluntary of course should be voluntary uh research go back how many years have they been gathering all this information from folks
4: yeah it's it's important right because this actually this started in 2015 under a different name it was not called the all of Us study it was called like the precision based Healthcare, et etc etc cetera, longer name um and at that time 130 million dollars was allocated for this project well since then it's Certainly, uh, grown <laughs> in participation and in cost. Uh, I, I, my understanding is the 21st Century Cures Act, passed in December of 2016, authorized one and a half billion dollars over 10 years for this program. So, uh, apparently, more and more started people, more and more people started really enrolling in this in 2018. So, it's been quite a few years uh, that people have willingly handed over their genetic data. And are now finally, you know, four years later, in some cases, maybe two years later, receiving some of that information back. I imagine the initial participants are the ones uh, sort of receiving the, sure. the, the most recent data in return. Um, but the goal eventually would, of course, be for everybody to sort of know where they stand. And, and one woman who was quoted in an Associated Press article about this, who is an NIH employee herself. She enrolled herself in her organization's own study and it came back that she had the BRCA2 gene. If that sounds oh, familiar, it's yeah. because Angelina Jolie had the BRCA gene. And uh, this allows you to make certain medical decisions preemptively. Um, uh, BRCA2 uh, can play a role in, in breast health and ovarian cancers. So, uh, you know, it, it, you and I might be saying, wow, why are millions of Americans willing to turn over their health data, yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, especially with all the breaches we, we hear about? But maybe they're making a, a calculated decision that it might be worth it in the long run to have this information.
1: This is a, a private or academic or is it a government uh, funded study that, that is continuing it? Like who, who holds this information?
4: Right. It's a great question. Right. Um, so NIH is running this. And essentially, they are in charge of the, the database, uh, holding the data. However, there are things called workbenches, to my understanding. And if your institution, say, and, and there is one, University of Arizona, for example, they, their university system, their medical researchers at University of Arizona signed on to participate in examining this research and examining people's medical data. Um, And so there are dozens of researchers at University of Arizona parsing through this data. You have to have an institution that is a willing participant. And when they sign on, they have to agree to a certain set of parameters that protect your privacy, protect your data. I should also note NIH is very explicit in saying that they remove your name and certain personal identifying characteristics Um, before they enter in your data. I imagine it's like a tracking number so that they can match all of your data with your existing data because they also seek medical records. They're looking for electronic medical records. They're looking for your Fitbit information. They want this to be sort of a Venn diagram approach where they look at a subset of all different kinds of data, where you live, um, your depression level, uh, how often do you exercise to sort of make a complete picture of you, and then they will compare it with other people so that if like let's say 12 people all have the same genetic variant well what are their health outcomes do they do they just do some people suffer whereas other people go along just fine about their merry lives with the same genetic variant and why so they're looking to compare all of this data and yeah. they insist that they are removing those personal identifiers so that researchers <laughs> really all well, over yeah. the country can can have access to this and look at it
1: yeah Volunteer beware just just know that it's, it's NIH <laughs> it's the government anybody can promise you anything be interesting to see for maybe a report down the line how aggressive mm-hmm. NIH has been in in getting in this so-called all of us study getting some minority data to them that's one thing i keep hearing here in texas and south texas that the Latino Hispanic community is always underrepresented in major studies. I wonder if they're being more aggressive and in, in trying to get that demographic in, and blacks and Asians. Before like, you let yeah, let, before you let
4: me go, I yeah. will say the head of the study actually said uh, close to fifty percent of their data subset of the individual participants are of racial and ethnic minorities. Good, so they're mixing it up. So they're very excited about that because most of the genetic data and studies that have been done, especially in Europe, really track European ancestry. So this is going to be a very different outcome.
1: Good to hear. Thank you, Jessica. Jessica Rosenthal, Rosenthal for Fox News. This is The Sergio Show.
0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show.
1: Here's Sergio. You likely heard in medical news over the past several days, this report claimed that teenagers' brains aged faster during the pandemic. man, I have no idea how they did the math on this. They say it was the stress of the pandemic. The lockdowns permanently um, aged the brains like by three years or so. Dr. Brandon Brock my guest again okay dr b do you understand how something like this is measured how can they come to a conclusion say okay three years that's how much teenager brains age as a result of the shutdown the pandemic no association with schoolmates not going to prom not doing the whole homecoming thing all that stuff how did they arrive at that number or could they arrive at that number do you know
5: really interesting, and and, and this is from what I understand from the preliminary uh, information from the studies that they've done, is there's some researchers that have been doing some research on anxiety and depression on children, and they were doing this before the pandemic. You know, they were doing imaging every couple of years. Okay. And so they were doing some before the pandemic, and then another set came along after the pandemic, or, you know, after some had been infected and stuff like that, and they realized that the images all of a sudden started to change significantly in the cohort that had been infected. And so they started comparing the before and after images, and they noticed significant changes that they didn't expect. It didn't follow the same linear, you know, progression that they were seeing just of a normal kid.
1: Okay. And is this in any way reversible, or is... Is this some type of um, very negative damage or, or you know how kids are, they're resilient, oh, they'll bounce back.
5: Well, after looking at this and then kind of really comparing it to some other papers, it's the interesting thing is the part of the brain that matured was the amygdala, which is a long word for the area that kind of perceives fear and negativity. But the part of the brain that didn't develop is the frontal lobe which gives you executive function and higher capacity to live. Okay. So in other words now now we see people whose brains have matured to the point to where they have the amygdala anxiety and they don't have the frontal lobe to inhibit that depression. And so we see this as people age, you know, there's things that happen you go through life that causes stress the part of the brain that perceives the stress gets more advanced and developed. And then the areas that give you the higher function, like being social, you know, going out and figuring out how to do things on your own, all the things that we didn't do during COVID they didn't develop. And so what we're kind of seeing is what looks like an older person that's been under stress, Mm. but their frontal lobes may get dinged a little bit because they've lost a little bit of function.
1: From North Texas, uh, part of Carpathia Collaborative, Chief Clinician, Dr. Brandon Brock, our guest again here on the Sergio Show, and we're talking about uh, teenagers aging about three years or so uh, as a result of the pandemic, all the stress and the lack of um, socializing with their friends and everything that they were denied during that shutdown, the forced shutdown, the kids not allowed to go to school. One of the local business Partners and clinics that we work here in South Texas, Doc, about um, like towards the end, like sometime last year, I recall. Man, he was on me on a regular basis, surge. We got to talk about mental illness in kids, mental illness in yeah. kids. I am getting swamped right now. Okay, so how do you attack this? How, how do you provide therapy for these, either parents recognizing it or your colleagues in, in medicine? Uh, and, and, so, uh, and mental health, how do you tackle this? What can you do to, you know, straighten out these kids that are slightly warped?
5: Well, and the, your, your colleague or friend that was saying that is 100% right. I mean, in our practices, you got to understand it's all changed. Now you just have to assume that just about everybody is coming in with a little bit of anxiety that normally wouldn't have been there or it's higher than it was. And so we're all scratching our heads, making these observations. And then you got these researchers that are starting to come up with at least some theories of why this is going on. And believe me, there's going to have to be a lot more research done on this, but it is very tricky. Number one, the mental health care system is getting crammed and, you know, there has to be a system to pay for this because some insurance companies have significant limitations on mental health care. And... This is creating some situations where kids are failing to thrive and they're not getting what they need because nobody will acknowledge it or recognize it as possibly being connected. And so it's creating a giant snafu effect to where we're going to have a generation, not just of kids, but then also parents that are having to deal with kids and help them through this. It's a big circle. And, you know, this is the crisis that we knew we would have to start dealing with. And thank goodness there's some people that are doing research. It's these stress hormones that make some areas develop and some areas dilapidate. And we're all very concerned about it. The answer of what we do about it at this point is we don't really know yet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was thinking
1: like how much how many group sessions or counseling one on one sessions would you need? Yeah. How, yeah how we, much we, we don't we don't you know. To... We
5: don't know what's reversible. We don't know what what's permanent we it seems like it's aged three years it's almost like you jumped forward in time and we don't know that that is really appropriate for that age of development um and we don't know what it's going to turn into and we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years down the road and so therefore there's still a lot of gray boxes in this yeah and 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 early information correlates with what we're seeing clinically
1: in the mental health field yes and also in education where the saddled with the kids daily are the teachers and the administrators dealing with you know trying to drag those kids to try to catch up as far as all the grades and the academics and the reading writing everything else they need to do but perhaps part of the problem might that they are not uh flourishing uh, they're not growing is because um maybe they're a little bit a bit warped so how many years is it going to take? How, how much more study do we need? Because this is a great argument uh, for not shutting down society next time we have a, you know. I know, you know I, I, look, mean, I know COVID it, killed a lot it, it, of people, but it was a mild uh, uh, pandemic compared to, you know, a, a zombie pandemic. You know, it no, was no reason to shut everything down. Like, they kept schools open in Florida. Maybe those kids are healthier. Maybe that could be the control group compared to other places of the country.
5: Well, they're going to probably start looking at, you know, now that just about everybody's had COVID, it's going to be hard to get control groups and stuff like that. That's why these guys just happened to stumble on this because they had some previous information, which I think is brilliant. But, you know, again, and I just kind of want to echo what you just said, which I think is really perfectly said, and that is, you take kids out of society, you put them in home, they don't socialize. They kind of make their own rules about how they're learning. They can kind of get up, mess around. They're not in a the classroom. There's any structure. And then you put them back into schools and they're trying to catch up and get more, you know, you know, literature in, getting more math in and they're coming from the habits that they developed and then coming back into that strict environment, it's enormous amounts of stress and they haven't socialized, so the frontal part of their brain hasn't developed the way it should, and you're just creating a situation of copious amounts of anxiety, the inability to deal with the day-to-day activity, which creates a snafu of depression, and we don't know how that's going to spiral into downward mental health. Who has the resilience to recover from that? Uh, it, it's just, it leaves a lot of Ken. question. And, and it really does bring the question, is it, is it really better to put everybody in shelter or to walk through this and of course it depends on the organism but this is the aftermath
1: can i make a suggestion dr Beebe, dr brandon brock yeah. me from north texas i think now more than ever i think moms and dads doesn't matter if it's like preteen or teen or your kids need to be involved in something your kids need to be taking music lessons art class they need to be in church they need to be part of the boys and girls club They need to belong to a group, something, that you just can't have them just going to school and coming back. I I think if you get them involved in something, I I think that will be the salve. I I think that might be something that helps cure this. What do you think?
5: Well, I think the social integration is absolutely imperative. I mean, you think about it. So how many studies are there about, you know, too much screen time being terrible? How how many studies do you see where taking kids out of society is terrible? This is a combination of, like, 15 different things. And I agree with you. We have to have kids interacting in real world, not just through a computer screen. Yes, sir. Um, we have to have, have, to have kids rooms. learning from teachers where they can make eye contact and know you're there, and the teacher can you know surveil the room and find out who's really suffering so they can go give that one kid some individual attention and allow kids to help each other and do group. I mean, all the stuff that everybody does in education that is a good educator, that stuff has been gone. And so it's just been stressful on learning and these kids know that they're behind and because now they're back in it. And some cope and some don't, and we're finding that a lot of them are not. And it's creating enormous anxiety. And not just for kids, but for teachers and parents.
1: Yeah. And that distraction, social media and the gaming and the little chat groups and gaming, and that's an escape and that's a dangerous escape. No kids need one on one human interaction. They need drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Merry Christmas Dr. Beebe and happy 2023 yeah from North Texas Dr. Brandon Brock. this is the Sergio show.
0: kurb.com You're listening to the best of the Sergio show. Here's Sergio.
1: Our West Texas, Texas border and I would say West San Antonio Congressman Tony Gonzalez. Did I say that right, Tony?
6: Yeah, the, I, the, the district is so big. I've got both West and South Texas.
1: Ooh, my goodness. Man, <laughs> how how do you manage? How can you visit all those key cities and key counties across that district? What's the number of your congressional district, Tony?
6: It's uh, Texas's 23rd district. I've got 119 cities and towns in the district. It takes me 10 hours to get from one end to the other so you just you're always on the road yeah oh, a lot of
1: time, you're so. bigger you're bigger than some small nations in the world uh, yeah, congressman exactly. tony gonzalez joining us right now and that portion of the state of late uh, we used to be here in mccallan brownsville used to be number one unfortunately when it came to all these mm-hmm. negative headlines on the flood of illegal border crossers the open border but now it's areas closer to you del rio is yours right congressman
6: Del Rio, yep. Del Rio, Eagle Pass, uh, and I've got sixty percent of uh, El Paso County.
1: Eagle Pass and El Paso. So, tell me, Congressman, how you doing? Eagle Pass, Del Rio, and even El Paso. I saw some video and pictures coming in from El Paso of people staging and people crossing, and Mm -hmm. it looks like it's messy right now. So, what's going on?
6: Yeah. So, uh, any community that lives along the border, uh, this isn't a new topic for us. Uh, Immigration, legal or illegal. Uh, is not a new topic. We've dealt with this time and time again, but it's never been like this. This is historic. And, uh, right now, you know, we've got, uh, there's estimates of over 50,000 migrants staging on the other side of the river, re- waiting for Title 42 to go away in a week. So it's real danger. I mean, it's, uh, the, the, we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, matter of fact, this is just starting. Uh, the other part that, that, uh, that I want to bring up. Is uh, this the exact same thing happened in Del Rio a year ago? There were thousands of Haitians under a bridge, and uh, and then and then uh, they ended up closing the bridge. So I I would not be surprised if the the bridge between Juarez and El Paso gets closed at some time when this crisis hits a peak. And as you know, that bridge, I mean, those are the people that are coming over legally. That's the legal commerce. That's the legal trade. We yeah. want that. Yeah. We want to encourage that. And and so what's, what ends up happening is this border crisis is now impacting Americans and American interests due to the crisis.
1: Could you explain to working people here in South Texas, Congressman, how Title 42, it lingers. It doesn't send or keep everyone in In Mexico, it doesn't send everybody back. But how can you, in layman's terms, explain to us, how is it being presently applied where a certain percentage volume of folks who are trying to cross the border or cross the border illegally or either being sent back or prevented from crossing, how is it being applied right now? And when's the, as far as you know, the the date that it's supposed to be lifted and maybe, as you said, the 50-some-odd thousand people staging in Juarez— might cross over all at once or over a few days
6: yeah december twenty first so uh, less than a week we're less than a week from title forty two going away and essentially what title forty two is it allows uh, border patrol to expel someone from the United States who's entered the country illegally within hours so the the normal is it's, a, it's a, uh, or before title forty two there was they, they, there was title eight was the predominant uh u.s code that was that was used and the difference between title 42 and title eight is essentially it takes title eight uh someone days to get processed and and to get uh, uh expelled from the country title 42 you can do it near immediately so that alleviates a lot of stress when you have high numbers of what we're seeing you know border patrol can immediately expel these people um, and, uh, and and that's helpful and alleviates some of the stress but but without repercussions just it can just continues to happen at the end of the day i have pushed for what is called repatriation flights which means if a person does not qualify for asylum you don't send them back to mexico so that way they can just try to come over illegally again you send them back to their country of origin uh guatemala honduras el salvador wherever it is and uh that when that when that happens the crisis immediately goes away. I go back to Del Rio a year ago where we saw these Haitians under a bridge. We saw thousands of Haitians, and then all of a sudden it was gone, right? What happened? Part of what happened is, is uh, <laughs> CBC, yes. Customs and Border Patrol, started flying people via repatriation flights back to their country. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. Yeah, back to
1: Haiti, but they yes. didn't come from Haiti. They, they were living yeah. in Venezuela or in central america they saw an open open door opportunity under biden they came here they crossed at del rio and were flown back to haiti they didn't want to go back to haiti they already had a life in central america or south america yeah it was kind of a bad deal for them
6: uh but you know the word got out hey united states is wide open and they're going well i'm in chile but you know what let's make it the united states and then there was a cutoff basically and then when the word got out that they're, hell, they're flying us back to Haiti, all of a sudden people stopped coming. So I get it. I mean, I, I, it, 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 there has to be some repercussions um, for for actions. Otherwise, you're only going to see. And the reason why they sent them back to Haiti, these people that were leaving, living abroad, mostly in Central and South America, they had ditched all of their paperwork they'd gotten rid of their passports, they'd gotten rid of their work visas and they essentially said, "Hey, we're coming we've been coming from Haiti, you know, due to uh, due to uh, fear." Yeah. And then they're, like, "Okay, we're sending you back to Haiti." They're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa I've been living in Chile."
1: <laughs> my goodness. Okay, well that solved that problem. Uh the, the well, the surprise fix to that. Uh, my guest right now, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, Republican, West Texas, all the way to areas near San Antonio and he covers a huge swath of West Texas and Del Rio, El Paso, uh, Eagle Pass. These are the seem to be the favorite ports of entry or points of entry because they're not using the ports. Uh, they're coming crossing the border illegally at near those areas right now. When you were explaining to me, Congressman, uh, this Title 42, the allows Border Patrol to expel immediately expel some of the illegal immigrants, uh, illegal aliens. Is it single men, single women? Is it families cuz they could easily say um credible fear credible asylum 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 and then they get to stay so so how does this work is it yes. s- certain demographics
6: no you you're you're right and 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 essentially the cartels uh, they they adapt to our laws and they will brief people ahead of time hey say this say that uh, and 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 right now because there are really no repercussions other than than somebody getting expelled to uh, to mexico in most cases Um, they, uh, they, they work around it. So right now, you know, Title 42 doesn't apply to families, doesn't apply to unaccompanied children. It's why we've seen so many unaccompanied children. I'm talking tens of thousands of unaccompanied children, uh, is because, you know, that's the word is, Hey, you come over unaccompanied and, you know, HHS will have you in custody for 20 or so days and then they'll, they'll release you. So it's very adaptive of it. So right now it's predominantly uh single adult males. Uh, that are getting expelled via Title 42. But here's the, here's, the real, here's the real key that no one's really talking about. In order for that to take place, there has to be an agreement between that country, meaning an agreement between Guatemala and the United States, which there is, Honduras and the United States. But what is happening is the State Department is focused on Europe and other places, and they're not focused on our backyard. So they're not going to tough places like Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua, you know, ones that are traditionally not friendly, and creating this, hey, look, you will take your people back or else, they're not doing any of that. So that's what makes the you see these numbers of migrants where these, these, these countries that do not qualify for Title 42 uh, are kind of are a, a ballooning. But here's the deal. When Title 42 goes away in less than a week, everybody is going to be coming.
1: 50K? On the Mexican side of El Paso and Juarez, that's the last number you heard of. That it's staging, ready to come come back.
6: Yes, yes, I've heard there's over fifty thousand uh, migrants waiting for Title Forty Two to uh, be lifted, uh, and and the the data shows. I mean these these um, these uh, NGOs are these uh, non government organizations, both on the United States and on the Mexican Mexican side are completely over capacity uh, capacity. Yeah. So um, it, this is it, it, buckle up. You're about to be in for a rough
1: ride. I would imagine on the ground, city mayors and county judges and other folks probably a bit nervous thinking maybe they might see thousands and thousands of folks that cross in one or two days uh, at a time when everybody is pretty much in neutral because it, that would be you know it's Christmas weekend, right? Have thousands yeah, of folks no, with, flood with, over. Yeah.
6: Yeah, no, what's sad is, uh, you know, many of these communities along the southern and, and, and west, uh, Texas border are beautiful communities. And, and El Paso is no different. It's a beautiful, compassionate city. And what is because of this crisis, there are literally hundreds of migrants sleeping in the streets. I mean, it's, it's near freezing, uh, temperatures in El Paso oh, last no. few nights. It, oh, it's, no. it's heartbreaking. I mean, all the way around. It's a bad deal for everybody involved. <laughs> Whether you live in El Paso, whether you work in El Paso, border patrol agent, a migrant, it's it's a bad deal all the way around, and this is where these these failed policies uh, are 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 evident.
1: And hurting our border patrol folks. A few days back, you were talking about border patrol suicides, folks at CBP as well. Tell me about that.
6: Uh, yeah, right now, um, and I've got I've got to run here in a minute, but I will say uh, I I recently introduced the TAPS Act. Uh, taking action to prevent suicides, And there's been 14 suicides uh, to date by Customs and Border Patrol. This is a historic number. And so they're, they're under an, an, uh, an incredible amount of stress. And so this piece of legislation, bipartisan, uh, myself and uh, Congressman Cuellar from Laredo area and a whole bunch of others, Democrats and Republicans have come together. You know, there, there's, there's some things that, that um, where the border divides us, uh, it shouldn't be that way. One of the things is, is mental health, uh, resiliency for our, our agents. So, um, I've been pushing for that. It, it, it's just an incredible amount of stress. And, and look, it, it, every city along the border has felt this. McAllen has felt it. Brownsville has felt it. Laredo has felt it. Del Rio, Eagle Pass. And, uh, and now sadly El Paso is, is feeling the brunt of it. But this is it, it on a dime. The, the traffic can shift from El Paso. McAllen or somewhere else so uh it's one of these things that it's it's a a bad deal all the way around and the only way to do it is to uh is to change policy but thank you for having me on the show i really appreciate it and uh you know uh, please have me back
1: merry christmas tony you and your staff thank you for the time all right merry christmas brother tony gonzalez our west texas congressman texas 23 this is the sergio show